One day, as he was teaching the people in the temple courts and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? He replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, Why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, We don't know where it was from. Jesus said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. That, that's a very interesting text. It's, it's taken uh, from Luke, of course, and it's taken from a time when Jesus was uh, at the temple. He was at Jerusalem, and he was at the headquarters of Judaism, of what we would call Israel at one time, but they'd winnowed themselves down and had been refined and finally came down to just Jews, or what, was, what we know as Judaism. But he was standing in the temple grounds and talking and teaching. And the people came out, the rulers came out and said, Who gave you the right to teach what you're teaching? Who gave you the right? Now that, that basically is uh, something that is extremely interesting. They were asking why he was teaching what he was teaching, but more specifically, who told him he could do that? Now think about this. If, for instance, someone was standing outside the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., and lecturing on the Constitution, somebody surely would come out and say, who gave you the right to stand out here and, and teach about the Constitution? And especially if he was teaching things that were not being practiced by our politicians. Or... If someone, a preacher, were to stand outside in St. Peter's Square, outside the Basilica, and be teaching the gospel, as it, and it didn't apply, as it, it was different from what the Roman Catholic Church is teaching, surely someone would come out and say, who gave you the authority? Who told you you could stand out here and preach the gospel? You see what I'm saying? Well, that's what they were saying to Jesus. Who gave you the right to to come in the temple and teach. Of course, Jesus was teaching right. He was teaching the truth. And he was teaching the proper application of the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. But they didn't like what he was teaching and how he was explaining it. So they were asking him, where are your credentials? Where are your ordination papers? Who told you, who gave you the right to even say what you're saying? What they were asking basically wasn't so much as the baptism of John. Of course, that was part of it. But you know, John was immersing people in the River Jordan. And he was telling them, repent and be baptized. And so they're, they're asking not only are they questioning the baptism, but they're questioning him, telling them that they had to repent. Okay? Well, that's what John was preaching. He was preaching that they had to repent. In Luke chapter 3, at verse 1 through 3, it says, In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being the governor of Judea, Herod being the tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip was the tetrarch of Ituria, 
and the region of Trachonitis and Licinius was the tetrarch of Abilene. So he's naming the time period in which John was teaching. And it said Annas and Cephas were the high priests. It says the word of God came to John the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. So John was not acting on his own authority. John the Baptist was acting on the authority that God gave him. God gave him the authority. God gave him the right to go out and tell these people they had to repent, be baptized for the repentance. Okay. It says he came into all the country round about Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Get ready, you say. Get yourself ready because the time's coming when you will be able to have remission of sins. You'll be forgiven for what you've been doing. Now, this John's baptism was, was taught all during that period of time when Jesus was also teaching. And so it says in Acts chapter 19 and verse 4, the Apostle Paul, even after several years later, it says he ran across a group of people in Ephesus that, uh, that, were, that were teaching the baptism of John, still teaching John's baptism. And Paul said, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on the, on the Christ. So John's baptism was preparatory to Jesus. And the baptism of Jesus was different from that of John. The baptism that Jesus was preaching was the same as John's, but the baptism that Paul was preaching after Jesus rose from the dead was the baptism of repentance unto the remission of sins. So when they were baptized, when they came up out of the waters, their sins were remitted. Okay. Well, they were, they were teaching that. And in Luke chapter 7, verse 29 and 30, the text tells us that some people did not accept that. They, did, they weren't going to do it. You know why? They were saying, you don't have the right to tell us what to do. By what authority you do? You don't have the right to tell us that. So Luke chapter 7, 29, 30 says, All the people that heard him and the publicans justified God. That is, they recognized that God was right being baptized with the baptism of John. So before Jesus died on the cross, remember, John's preaching, get ready, repent. Jesus is coming. He can forgive your sins. But some were saying, you don't have any right to tell us to do that. You don't have any right to tell me that I'm wrong. That's what they were saying. You can't tell me I'm wrong. That's repentance. Okay, so it says they, they, were, they were being baptized with the baptism of John, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of Him. So some said, no, you, I, don't care. I don't care what you're saying. I'm not going to repent. I don't think I've done anything wrong. That's what repentance is all about. In Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 30, it says, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one according to his ways, saying the Lord, Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity will not be your ruin. The prophets of old were saying the same thing John was saying. Ezekiel said it about 400 years or 500 years before John did. He was telling Israel, You need to, you need to recognize you're wrong and change, turn around, come, come back the other, de uh, other direction. That's what the definition of repentance is. 
turn from your transgressions. So John was preaching the baptism of repentance. Some were accepting the right of John to say that, and others were, were not accepting that right. Now let's, let's go a little further. Jesus was also teaching repentance. While he was on the earth, he was teaching the same thing John was teaching. He was teaching people, you are in error, you need to change your ways. Turn around, go the other direction. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, the text says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus was trying to get people ready for the time when they could come into the kingdom and be saved. And that involved recognizing you're wrong. Boy, that's a tough one. <laughs> that's a tough one. Get into an argument with someone, and you know what you're going to be arguing over? Who's right and who's wrong? That's exactly what you're going to argue over. But somebody in an argument, somebody's wrong. Maybe both are wrong. But somebody's wrong. And here John is saying, the whole nation of Israel, you're wrong. You're wrong. You've got to change. You've got to come back another direction. You know when you're wrong. Surely if you're, if you're grown up, you know when you've done something wrong. When you've done something wrong morally. When you've done something wrong ethically. If you've lied, if you've sworn, if, you, if you've done something immoral, you know when you're wrong. How do you get that right? And who has the right to tell you that you're wrong? That was the question they were asking. What right do you have, Jesus, of telling us that we're wrong? What right do you have? He was telling them that. And as a matter of fact, he sent his 12 apostles out to tell, tell them the same thing. That's what the apostles went out preaching to start with. In Mark chapter 6 at verse 12 it says, And they went out and preached that men should repent. Now this is the same type of message. Let's go back to the Old Testament now. Go back to Jonah's time. Remember Jonah? Jonah was told of God to go to Nineveh and tell these people they're wrong. What did Jonah say? Not me. I'm not going. I'm not going to go there because I know what's going to happen. Jonah was afraid if he told them it was wrong that they'd change and do right. Isn't that something? Or maybe he was afraid they'd say what people usually say to you today. Well, who do you think you are to tell me I'm wrong? Right? Holier than thou? You get the same... Well, of course, here Jonah was, was uh, reluctant. He wasn't going to do it. So he got in a boat and tried to escape. And the boat started to go down. And everybody's looking around for a scapegoat, a Jonah goat. And Jonah said, it's my fault. So they, they, they said, well, let's, let's pray about it. And he said, no, you better just toss me overboard. So they did. They tossed him overboard and a great fish swallowed Jonah. Then it spit him up on the shore. And Jonah went to Nineveh. Reluctantly, he still didn't want to go. But he went and he preached and it took him a long time to cross town preaching. It was a big town. Nineveh is a big town. It took him a while to get across the whole town preaching to repent. And guess what? They repented. They changed. They said, well, change. They got in sackcloth and ashes. They threw dust up in the, uh, up in the air. And they said, we're, we're going to change. And so God didn't destroy them. That aggravated Jonah. Anyway... The people that came to Jesus and said, We want to see a sign from you. We want you to show us some sign that you are the Son of God and that you have a right to tell us to repent. 
Give us a sign. Okay? Do something special. You know what Jesus said? He said, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Because he came to the people telling them to repent, and they did. Well, in Luke chapter 11, verse 32, it says, The men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented of the preaching of Jonah and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. So Jonah is going to judge these people. They're going to be able to point the finger and say, you didn't repent, but we did. Okay. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, things changed. Things changed. The baptism changed. The baptism of John was to get people to repent, to get them to recognize that they were wrong. Basically, it was to Israel, to these people that Jesus had come from that family. And, and these were the people that were supposed to bring him to the world and bring the kingdom. Okay. So now then, after Jesus rose from the dead, he sent the apostles out, and here's what he told them to preach. Now, I want you to listen to what I'm going to say, what I'm going to read. Listen. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, he came and spoke unto his apostles. This is after he rose from the dead. He's been with them about 40 days. He says, All authority is given unto me. What he's saying is, I have every right to tell you to do this. I have every right. He said, All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth. Did you hear what he said? Go teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. But he said, I have every right to tell you to do that. All power is given unto me, he said. So in Mark chapter 16, verse 15 and 16, he says unto them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized, preach the gospel. So here's a primary part of this whole thing. You've got to know something about Jesus. You have to know about Jesus. You have to know what He did and what He taught, what He was all about. He said, go preach the gospel. And once a person believes the gospel, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be condemned. Okay. But you know what is missing in that? He didn't say, go tell everybody to repent and then preach the gospel. He didn't say that, did he? You know what? He assumed that. That's an assumption. You're not going to hear the gospel unless you change your ways. Unless you already repented, you're not about to even read the New Testament. You're not going to say, I'm wrong, therefore I need to get right. If you don't repent, you don't have that frame of mind, and so preaching the gospel to you is not going to make any difference. Because you're going to say, who are you to tell me? You see what I'm saying? So repentance comes before everything else, doesn't it? And then you hear the gospel. And then you believe the gospel. And then you are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then you come up out of the waters of baptism, saved. But you've got to hear the gospel. Whoa. But before you do that, you've got to repent. The very first sermon that was preached on this earth that presented forgiveness for sins in the blood of Jesus Christ 
was preached in Acts chapter 2 by a man named Peter. And while he was preaching, he told them, you know what? You have crucified the Lord. You crucified the Son of God. And in, in, uh, in that context, he, says, he said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Peter said it. He said, Before you can do anything, you're going to have to repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall receive the forgiveness of sins, for the remission of your sins. He told them they had to repent. It's, it's, uh, it's assumed, but sometimes we see it written in the, in the context. He, uh, this, one, of course, was preached and taught from the time of the Gospels first being preached. Okay, so let's get to this point then. Everyone was told to repent. We, we know we have to repent. We know just common knowledge is that we've, we've made mistakes. We've done wrong things. We've said wrong things. We've hurt people. We've damaged people. We haven't been good to our neighbor. We certainly haven't been good to our God. So now then, if, if we're at all conscientious about our soul salvation, then we know that we've done something wrong. Okay. What right does anybody have to tell me that I'm wrong? We, we talk a lot about rights, don't we? What right does anybody have to tell me anything? And so for the past couple of years, we've been really struggling with this in this country, specifically, about who has the right to tell me to do anything, right? So, we're keenly aware of those rights. Most of us, we, of course, we live under the Constitution of the United States of America, and we have a Bill of Rights. Most of us are familiar with those rights, aren't we? Rights, that means we have the authority, we have the power to do what we want to do because the, the Constitution, you know what the Constitution is? It's an agreement that we make with one another. We have to have some kind of rule and regulation. So the Constitution tells us we have certain rights. So we stand up and say, I've got the right to say what I want to say. Amendment number one of the Bill of Rights. I can say what I want to say. If you live somewhere else, if you lived in North Korea, you couldn't say that. If you lived in Saudi Arabia, you couldn't say that. If you lived in North Vietnam, you couldn't say that. You lived in communist Russia, you couldn't say that because you don't have the right there that we have here. So we've been fussing about this, haven't we? We have, we have, we have the right to say what we want to, free speech. Well, of course, it's, it's limited in some ways because if we slander someone or libel someone, then we're liable to go to court and be sued for it. You see, so there's, there's some, some areas that we, we just can't transgress because we have to define what that means. But we also have the right of, of religion. We can worship however we, we please, as long as we're not damaging somebody else. And that's really why, what, why, what this country was based upon, was freedom of religion. People were coming from the old country to this country. They were coming from Europe, coming to this country to escape Catholicism and the rule of, of the, uh, the church and Rome in ruling them. And the Church of England was doing the same thing. And, in Britain and so forth, in France, you have all these problems of religion being combined with the government and the government telling people how to do what they're supposed to, wanting them to do. And so we came, people came to this country in order to escape that oppression. 
And so we have the freedom of religion. And we also have the right to a peaceful assembly. Right? That's, that's the First Amendment. Peaceful assembly, as long as we're not damaging somebody else's property, burning down things, so forth, we don't have the right to do that. We don't have the right to abuse others in our peaceful assemblies. And that's, that was the problem that we had during the riots. And any time we have protests, we have problems of people doing damage to other people's property or other people's person. We don't have the right to do that. But we do have the right for a peaceful assembly, which is like we're doing today. Peaceful assembly. That's the First Amendment. The other, other amendment we're having problems with is the, the amendment number two. We have the right to bear arms. So we've got you know, all sorts of controversy over bearing arms. Who can keep a gun? Who can't? Who can be licensed and carry it openly? And who can't? And so forth. Anyway, it's, it's, a, it's an issue, but it's still, we are saying that we have the right to do that. And then, of course, the amendment number four is the freedom to be secure in our persons, our houses, our papers, and our effects. Privacy. Right of privacy. So these have been the rights that we've been discussing because they're rights that the government is, has granted us, and we're the government here, but these are rights that the government has granted us, and the controversies are raging over who has the right to restrict these freedoms or to expand these freedoms. That, that's what we're asking, isn't it? We're having all those problems. A person gets on the airplane that says, who's got the right to tell me to have to wear a mask? And so they get into fusses about this. We've seen this all over the country. I'm simply talking to you about who has the right to tell me what I can and can't do. Well, we have a constitution. We've given each other these rights. If we lived under a despot, he'd tell you, you put the mask on or you go to gallows or we go to jail, you see. So we're, we're, we're in a free country and so we're, we're under a beneficent government so we can we can uh, discuss those things and we can interpret them or allow our federal government or our state government or the 12 supremes to interpret all those rights for us because we are representative in government too but it becomes a question of authority of those who are entrusted with the position of power to enforce those rights or restrictions it's a magistrate perhaps it's a monarch, it's a despot, it's a politician. The police ideally find ourselves beneath the authority of a reasonable, moral, and merciful government. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? That, that used to be a big discussion in college classrooms. Would it be better to be under a beneficent monarch or a social republic or democratic republic? Okay. Anyway. Here's the point I want to make with you. We're talking about rights, and, and basically I, I want to keep it on the track. I'm not talking about government. I'm talking about rights. I'm going to get to the point in just a minute. But we're told that God has ordained or has authorized government in a certain area of restriction to take care of keeping the peace. So human government not the kingdom. We're not talking about God's kingdom because all these governments are not God's kingdom. All these governments are just governments. Now Romans chapter 13, I'm going to read about five verses there. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God, but the powers that be are ordained of God. What he's saying is, you look at this very carefully, 
the right that anybody has, the higher authorities have the right, God intended that to be sold. But He also intended that it be governed in a certain way. Now we'll read on. Whosoever resists the power, that is those who have the right to tell you what to do or not to do, to govern your life ethically, morally, not morally, but socially, financially, economically, politically, those who have the right. Now he, he's saying, he's saying, whosoever resists the power, resists the ordinance of God. God's ordinance is that there should be a peaceful government, a government that keeps the peace. He says, they are they, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. So what sort of government does God want to put in place? Good. Good government. Those who do good, will you then be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and you shall have praise of the same. He is the minister of God to thee for good. Okay, that's his authority. That's the kind of government God wants. A good government. One that administers goodness. All right. He is the minister of God. If he, he does not bear the sword in vain, he's the minister of God or avenger of them to execute wrath upon them that do evil. Wherefore, you must be subject not only for wrath, but for conscience sake. So, the government that God wants is one that administers good. Sometimes these things get out of tilt, don't they? Government turns sideways. Sometimes it goes all the way upside down. Government doesn't administer good. Government administers evil. Think about Nazi Germany. Think about North Korea. Think about the governors there. Think about what we mentioned a while ago, Saudi Arabia. Think about China. Some of these governments go upside down and they're not actually administering good. But still, the Christian is under responsibility to keep those principles that are good. Things that are good. If they tell you not to speed on the highway, go 55 miles an hour. If not, if you go beyond that, you go to jail. Well, that's, that's your problem. You, sh you should be willing to take the punishment that is meted out for something like that. However, there are times when the government tells you to do something that is not right. And so, we, we have illustrations of this. The text tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, before we get, by, get beyond this, it, it says, As much as lies in you, leave peaceable with all men, as much as lies within you. So, we, we stay under the government as much as we can. Now, Jesus was standing before Pilate. And Pilate was questioning him, you know, before his resurrection. He was questioning Jesus, and he, he, uh, he couldn't find anything wrong that he could put him to death for. But the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin and the, the high priest and so forth, wanted to put Jesus to death. And they wanted Pilate to do it for them. So Pilate looked at Jesus and said, Don't you know Jesus wouldn't answer him? He kept trying to get him to confess to something, and Jesus wouldn't. He said, don't you know I have the power to put you to death or to release you? What he's saying is, don't you know I have the right to do that? And you know what Jesus said? He said, you would have no right at all except God had given it. My Father had given it to you. 
You couldn't do it if my father didn't want you to. You couldn't do it. Okay. So sometimes the government tells us to do something that we shouldn't do. It happens. It can happen. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and James had been preaching in that temple area where Jesus was. And the authorities came and took them into custody. Took Peter and James into custody. And they told them, they brought them before them, they set them before the Sanhedrin and the high priest, and they said, didn't we tell you not, not to teach in His name, in the name of Jesus? Didn't we tell you not to preach in His name? But you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine to intend to bring this man's blood on us. Peter and the apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. If the government tells you to do something that is contrary to the higher power, you don't, don't, don't do it. Sure. You don't do it. That's what Peter said. He said, we ought to obey God rather than man. So it says, the government says, you cannot come together in an assembly. You know what happens? Sometimes people just have to do the best they can and get off someplace where the government can't see them and assemble. Because God said, come together, assemble together. And that happens. People meet in some of these places like in China, Saudi Arabia. People can't even bring a Bible into Saudi Arabia. They can't bring them in. But they do because we ought to obey God rather than man. You see what I'm saying? We're, looking, we're talking about rights. The government has rights and God has rights. Isn't that correct? The same thing happened again with all the apostles in Acts chapter 5. All the apostles got together and they were still preaching Jesus. And it said when they had brought them, the, this whole council got, the, got all the apostles together. They brought them before the council and, and it said, uh, they said, didn't we straightly charge you that you, you should not do this? Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. And they, uh, Peter had said it before. He said, uh, whether it's right to obey God or man. So the, the whole issue is we have examples of individuals who say, no, we're going to preach the gospel. Now, the Apostle Paul, in Acts chapter 25, verse 10 and 11, was uh, being accused of preaching something that was wrong, contrary to the Old Testament and the New Testament. And Paul was taken into custody, and his accusers brought him before the governor, brought him before uh, Felix at, at Caesarea. And he governed that area for the Roman government. And it... Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I've done no wrong, as you very well know. If I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. He said, I am under the authority of Caesar. And if I've done anything wrong, according to the law, Roman law, I don't refuse to die. But he said he hadn't done anything wrong. And so he wanted to make his appeal to Caesar. So tyranny can take us out of the purview of righteousness if we're not careful. Tyranny can say, you're not going to be a Christian. You can't confess the name of Christ. You can't believe in Him. You can't meet together. You can't own a Bible. That's what a tyrannical leader will say. But the Christian says, as peacefully as possible, I'm going to have my Bible. And I'm going to meet with other Christians. And I'm going to worship the way God told me to worship. Because 
we know who has the right. For the Christian, God is the one who has the right to control our lives and set our standards of right and wrong. Period. That's for the Christian. Who has the right to tell me what to do? God. He has the right. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. The text, and I'm just going to tell you what it says, because when, uh, when Moses, his, his mother, Amran and Jezebel, Jochebed, I think it was, his mother and father, they were told by the Egyptian rulers, the Pharaoh, that when they had a child, they were to, uh, they were to kill the child, smother it, drown it, do something. They were told, the midwives in, in Egypt were told, when they, took an, when they took an Israelite woman to give birth, they were to kill the child. Abortion. Let's just say it. Let's, let's practice a little abortion here. The parents of Moses didn't do it. They didn't do it. They hid Moses. They hid him in some bulrushes on the, in, the, in the river, along the riverbank. And so there he was in the bulrushes, and the uh, daughter of Pharaoh found him and adopted him. And when she adopted him, of course, she brought along a, a servant, a Hebrew servant, to take care of the baby. And the Hebrew servant happened to be Moses' sister. So when Moses grew up, he came into his adulthood. He, uh, he decided that he would help his people. And so in this context, in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14, he came upon some Egyptians who were abusing his Israelite brothers, his Hebrew brothers. They were beating them. And, and he actually took the life of one of the slaveholders, Egyptian slaveholders. And the next day he found two of the Israelites fighting and he tried to separate them. And you know what they said? They said, who made you a judge and a ruler over us? Who gave you the right to tell us what to do to govern us? Who gave, us, who gave you that right? And so Moses was, realized that if he stuck around, he was going to be put to death. And so he left home. Left home for 40 years. We know this. As a Christian, God is our judge and he's our ruler. Psalms 50 verse 6, I know that God has every right to tell me what to do. Every right. He can tell me what's right and he can tell me what's wrong and he can tell me whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong and he can tell me what I need to do to be pleasing to him. He has the right. The heavens will declare his righteousness for God is judge himself. Psalms 50 verse 6. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 23 says, To the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and the spirits of just men made perfect. God is the judge of all. But when Jesus came, he took that role. Jesus is the judge. Now, in Acts chapter 10 verse 42, the text says, He commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is He which is ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. He's talking about Jesus. Now, Jesus is my judge. He can tell me what I should or shouldn't do. In John 5.22 it says, The Father judges no man. Okay, so the Father judged, and all the book of Psalms you can read all about God being the judge back there, but when Jesus came, He's the judge. So I don't go to the Old Testament to find out what I need to do. I have to find out what Jesus wants me to do. 
Because he's my judge. And 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to what he has done, whether it's good or bad. And then in 2 Timothy 4 verse 1, he says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. And we're going to be judged by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 2 and verse 16. Okay. Who has the right to tell you what to do? Is that what you say when, you, when, you, when, you, when you're confronted with what the New Testament says? Now, we're told in Matthew 7 verse 1, Judge not lest you be judged. Have you ever heard anybody tell you that? So you're talking about eternity. You're talking about life. You're talking about what God wants you to do. And you remark to someone that it is not right to fornicate. It's not right to watch pornography. It's not right to curse. Whatever it may be that you're talking about. And they'll say, who are you to judge me? Right? And you say, I, I'm, I can't really, I can't judge you. But if you can't judge them, who does? Well, the New Testament judges. So what's, what's going to happen is, if you, if you begin to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, you begin to say, here's what the Bible teaches. As a preacher, I say it all the time in this capacity. As an individual, I say it too. When people ask them, we're talking about it, I tell them what I believe the Bible teaches is right or wrong. And sometimes I get the, get the remonstration like this. You're narrow-minded. Who are you to judge me? And you know what they did? The first thing they did was judge me. You are narrow-minded. So now they judge me and they're telling me I can't judge them. Whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is, this is getting kind of complicated. You're a bigot. You're sectarian. You're a Jesus freak. So you get all these repercussions when you begin to teach the gospel of Christ and what the Bible teaches what you see in the New Testament and you can go back if you're going to just express your opinion you deserve this but if you're talking about what the Bible says and if you can open the Bible and say here let's read it together it then becomes God judging and not you and God has that right correct? He has that right I don't have the right but God has that right as a Christian, you have a right to live according to the values and the teaching of Jesus Christ. You have the right to own His name publicly and privately, regardless of the consequences. You have the right to follow in His steps and counsel others in the gospel. Beyond that, you don't have a right. You can't go beyond the gospel. You cannot go beyond what Jesus taught when you're talking to people about right and wrong. You can't go beyond the gospel. And you shouldn't go beyond the gospel. You can preach repentance. And you can preach forgiveness of sins. And you can take your personal stand for the Lord and for His standards. Because these are your wonderful rights in Jesus. God help you do just that. Be very careful when you're telling people what they must or must not do according to what the Word says. And if you don't if you're not able to show them in the Bible, show them in the Gospel, right and wrong. Don't, don't say it. If you can't show it, don't say it. God help you do that. Let's stand and sing this song of invitation.